Now, one of the ways that I read the Bible devotionally when I'm doing it for myself is I don't rush it. I'll, I'll ask God to speak to me. And when I'm reading the passage, what I look for is that one thing or two things that really impress upon me, that really strike me. And it's amazing sometimes if you do this in a group, if you're in a connect group, and you read the Bible together like that, and you say, go around the room, just what, what did the Lord say to you? It's amazing how can, different things can hit different people. So I'm going to read this, and what I'd ask you to do is, as I'm reading it, be saying, just, you know, Holy Spirit, what are you impressing upon me? Just really reflect on it. So I'm not going to chase through, but let's just uh, ask the Lord to open his word directly into our hearts. So this is, this is the scene where... Joshua is going to rally the camp and they're going to cross the Jordan River into the land that God had promised to them all those years ago, 40 plus years previously. But you remember they, they quit on God's promise and it, the generation died apart from Joshua and Caleb. And now they're ready to go. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Chittim and came to the Jordan and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it at a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you will go for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know, just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hevite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off and... The waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks in the days of harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away, Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those which were flowing down towards the Sea of Arabah, the salt sea which, completely, which were completely cut off, so the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests 
who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Well, that's a story. I mean, you know, you're reading that in, what are we doing there? 17 verses of scripture for perhaps one of the most profound miracles that's in the Bible. One of them is utterly amazing. A whole group of people crossing with a heap of water <laughs> standing in a distance. I mean, that, is, that must have been quite a sight. And you would think, wouldn't you, that if you saw something like that, it would change your life forever, wouldn't it? You would surely know that the Lord is with you. But there are a few little keys in this passage that really spoke to me. And I have to say that, you know, we're doing this, as Dan described it to me, when we were plotting and planning what we're going to do. This We're going to do like a highlights rule, he said, of Joshua, as we were discussing how we were going to go about it. Um, this is a significant highlight. And it speaks right into where we're at at the moment. Uh, at risk of being boring and saying the same things over and over again, we have come a long way in three and a half years. And, and by God's grace, we've seen people's lives being restored. Uh, we've seen people's walk with Jesus restored. We've seen people's hope and faith in church restored. We've seen people giving their lives to Christ, uh, which has been amazing. We've been regularly baptizing people. Uh, we've seen a new sense of worship spread into the church, I think. We've started to see miracles amongst us. Honestly, uh, if I sat back and, and wrote down a journal of all the good things that we've seen God do, you, you could say, well, that has been a good job done. Thank you, Lord. And you could, I think, uh, decide right now that enough is enough. Uh, let's have a jolly good time together. We'll drink some good tea after church and we won't have to keep you know, pushing and pursuing vision because actually the Lord is doing good things amongst us. I hope you feel that the Lord is doing good things amongst us. Uh, it, it certainly feels like that from my perspective. Uh, and you could say, well, you know, good. You know, thus far the Lord has been with us, but let's uh, take our foot off the gas a little bit and, and have, an, have a nice time. And you, you could be forgiven for wanting that, particularly when the sun's shining, you think, you know, I'd rather be in a field thinking about Jesus in a church, wishing I'd be in a field, you know, having a picnic. You know, you can get a sense where uh, it's been good, but we don't really want to push any further. But that was never the dream and vision for this church. The dream and vision for this church, right from the early days, was that we were going to build something that was going to affect us, or affect not like the town, but also the region. We had a dream of church planting and building a big centre that resource the town and reach some of the most broken, vulnerable and hurting people. And that does mean that we've not arrived yet. And it might not be that our generation ever does. I don't know what quite excites me. What quite excites me is the idea that assuming the Lord hasn't come back, uh, in several generations' time, there's a whole bunch of people who take this church far further than anything we could have done. And we've left something beautiful behind. I'm not building for me now. I'm building for generations to come. And that's always been in my heart. I mean, these, these little children that we see bombing out of church halfway through, 
we, there could be generations of families flowing from them, couldn't they? All meeting and discovering Christ. So that's actually what we're building for. And that means that comfort is not a thing for me. Uh, yes, good times like quiz nights. And by the way, I won last year. Just drop that one in there. I did ask a few people to remind me. Did, did was it I won last year? Oh, yes, I believe it was with my team. can't remember who was on it. I think it was, may have been just me. But I won last year. But it's not all quiz nights. Actually, we're a rescue mission. Yeah, we have a laugh together as a family, but we're a rescue mission. There are a few keys here. I'm going to rapidly try and go through them. Number one. I don't often do several point sermons, but here we go. Number one. In the Bible, before any significant move of God, it seems to me that there is a period of what the Bible describes as consecration. Setting yourself apart to be close to Jesus. Sometimes in radical ways. In fact, you can say that before many significant moves of God, there is not just a period of consecration, there is also a period of sifting. Like the Lord uh, tests us and tests what our motivations are. You see that a lot, but you certainly see, oh, you're sifting, for instance, uh, Judges 6, God whittling down Gideon's army. And, and there's a major sifting here in Joshua 3 because they all died before they got to this point. So that, that can happen. But consecration, it seems to me, is a very, very critical thing. You see it in Jesus in the desert in Luke chapter 4, don't you? Jesus goes into the desert to be tested. He said he goes into the desert full of the Holy Spirit. He gets tested by the devil. He consecrates himself. He fasts for 40 days. He comes out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel sets himself to pray and fast for 23 days. And then there's a vision of an angel. Joshua says, consecrate yourself. And the question is, what does that actually mean? And why would we need to do that now? Well, the reason we need to do that now is because we have a few things set in front of us. There will be, as I've hinted a couple of times, and I can't say everything now, but there will be a flow of news over the next few months which indicates to you that the Lord has got his hand on this church. And it's going to be quite exciting. We are also in the process, as many of you know, uh, to bid on a building on the 10th of July. And in the background, there is an awful lot of work going on to look at uh, architectural drawings, trying to persuade Stewardship Bank to actually give us some cash, fundraising, uh, dealing with auctioneers and the council for uh, potential outline planning permission, all that kind of stuff. And we're trying to line up at the moment for a church that's three and a half years old to bid on a building that could cost £600,000. You know, we've got 50 quid in the Snickers in the bank. But we're trusting the Lord, because that's what we do, which we'll come on to in a bit. But before any significant move of God, there is a period of consecra uh, consecration. Let me give you an example. Some of you already know this story, but I'll give this story to you again uh, because it is very pertinent to me. Two years ago, I was at the gathering, which is the, the men's festival, um, which started a few years ago. It's just a good couple of thousand guys at it. It's a big evangelistic uh, jamboree, like Top Gear and Songs of Praise all rolled into one. You'll know that, as I said before. Um, there was a kebab van. I had a kebab. It was disgusting. It was made of chihuahua. Um, it really was quite foul. Uh, but on the, um, we actually have a kebab van. It's now marked on Google Maps and the ice cream van if you go to the location. So I was quite proud of that. And then uh, two, three days later, as we came to the end of the festival, I needed to grab a quick meal and I had another kebab in the hope that it was going to be better. And it wasn't. It was actually marginally worse. I think this time it was more like, you know, hamster. So... I had a hamster kebab. It was really quite bad. 
and then um, I left there, and then on the way home, I was late, and I phoned Karen, and I said, is there any food in the house? You would know, get, get yourself something on the way home. So, um, great. So I stopped uh, in Chess Vegas, and the only thing available was the uh, kebab shop. So I, uh, I managed to do three kebabs in about four days. And uh, I was at home, sitting on my sofa, everyone was asleep, and I thought, this is just disgusting. Uh, this is actually disgusting. I've just eaten like a pig. Since I've gone away to the gathering, I've lived in a field, I've become a caveman. You know, it's utterly gross. And, uh, you know, I'm married to a you know, vegetarian with a vegetarian daughter and, and another daughter is a healthy eater. And I'm like, why am I even doing this? It's disgusting. You know, it's honestly, it's just awful. Anyway, it was more than just a human thought. Because whilst I sat there, I started to think, I feel a little bit convicted that I've just eaten foulness for four days. I actually did feel quite bad about it. So I went online and I ordered three vegetarian cookbooks, good ones with loads of weird exotic recipes. I do take you into secret. I mean, I'm a man wearing pink. I do, you know, I have got a sensitive side and I do a little bit of art and, you know, I like my classical music and playing the piano and stuff like that. Um, but I also do quite like vegetarian food. Don't tell anyone at the gathering, though. Don't tell anyone, Colin. But I do, I do like veggie food, and I like, I like cooking veggie food. So I bought these, I bought these cookbooks. Anyway, the next day I went to work. Uh, before I, uh, you know, this new freelance life I got, I, w I went to work. And this guy emailed me a prophetic word. Here's a little tip, actually. With the word prophetic, if you've got a slight lisp like me, because I had a bicycle accident when I was 15, you can say pathetic, and it still sounds like prophetic. I've got a pathetic word. Here it is. And this guy emailed me this thing. It says this. I got a second... I got, he had a first picture, which is about work stuff. I got a second picture of a pita bread. He emailed me this. It looked like it was primed for a greasy meat kebab. But then it was filled with lettuce and cucumber, etc. And then you got stuck into it. Not sure what it means. Might not mean anything, but thought I'd show it in case he meant anything to you. Probably not. No worries. I just had four kebabs, and the prophet of the Lord emails me with a proper prophetic word. Says I've got a picture of a greasy kebab, but it was filled with fruit and vegetables. What do you make of that? That is Almighty God telling me off for having four kebabs in four days. So I went veggie. I actually did. Do you know how hard that is in the environment and arena that I work? I mean, I'm not veggie now, but I went, I went through a purity phase. Well, I, I, I do, I, you know, I, I mean, I'm not having kebabs anymore. I'll tell you that, it cured me. But I went through a little purification phase and I took it really seriously. Do you know how hard it is working the arena that I work in normally when you go to an amazing steakhouse and you order falafel? It's really hard. And all the blokes are having like T-bone. I'm having, I'm having a falafel and cucumber with a little bit of mint yogurt. It's very hard. It's very hard, but I did it. And I did it for about four months. Anyway, here's the thing that happened. At the end of that four months, I didn't count the time, by the way, but I was still doing it. And people say, you're still doing that thing. I'm going, yeah, I was quite enjoying it, actually. Annie... Uh, properly full-on gave her life to Christ during that period. I mean, I remember coming down to the sofa and the Lord gave me a word 
and I asked Andy a question, and it, we had this really amazing moment, didn't we, where we were all hugging and everyone was crying, including the dog and the cat and everything. It was amazing, very emotional. And the Lord said to I felt the host would say to me, your whole family's going to be in heaven with your son. And I was like, <laughs> family's got to Jesus. We were having this sort of moment. So Annie, Annie said, I want to be baptised, which is great. And I had the privilege of, you know, baptising Annie. And on the night I baptised Annie, she was going under the water, and I picked her up and... Wow, special moment, and I gave her a hug, and then I, and I wrapped a towel around her, and I stepped back with my phone, picked my phone up, and I went to take a photo, and a text popped up, and the text popped up from a very close colleague of mine, and the text basically said, I need you to come and see me in North Manchester right now with my family. And so I, I, I thought, well, this is obviously an emergency. So I texted back and said, do I really need to come? I just baptised my daughter. And he went, I really need you to come. I need you to come now. So I gave Annie a cuddle, said goodbye to the wider family, jumped in the car, drove to North Manchester, and within two hours of seeing the high of my daughter being baptised, I was sitting in front of a friend of mine who confessed adultery and had basically leaving his wife. And um, he's been found out in a whole bunch of stuff. And I was sitting there with the wife and the husband together in this terrible carnage moment. Uh, life happens, but it was just this, this one was, it was quite, I mean, it's all bad, this kind of stuff and painful, but there were some particular circumstances around this which were very difficult. And um, I found myself for the next 72 hours navigating some extremely painful stuff with people. And at that moment, I felt the Lord say to me, you don't need to, you're released. And I'll tell you something, I felt really close to God. Like, really close. I'd go into meetings and I'd just, I'd, I'd know what way the meeting was going to go. And I felt God's pleasure on me in a way I hadn't felt for a long time. It's only one other time I felt like that before. was I've told you before about when I was in the gym doing some bench pressing and the Lord called me to fast and I said, how long for, Lord? And it was completely silent. And uh, I thought, oh, it's going to be a long one. And it was, it was 21 days. After day 17, I was fantasizing about Kentucky Fried Chicken variety meals. <laughs> I didn't even want to swallow it. I just wanted to chew it. I wanted to chew anything. I was gnawing my knuckles. It just, it's amazing. But I broke through by day 20, and by day 21, I felt the Lord say, you're released. That's a pain, isn't it? Just as I was getting in the groove. I'd have a cup of black tea in the morning, then I went for it. 21 days. On the 21st day, it was the 40th anniversary of the church that I was leading. And that morning, a colleague of mine also, uh, a whole bunch of stuff came up about his life, which is extremely painful that we had to deal with. And then the Lord said, you're releasing this. Every time I've seen a significant uprooting of either unholiness or opposition or something set against us, it's always been preceded by a time of consecration. Before any significant breakthrough, I've engaged in the time of consecration, setting myself aside for the Lord 
I'm feeling like as a church we need to do this now. In whatever way works for you. Not for like crazy KFC type fantasy fasts. I'm talking about properly consecrating your heart before the Lord. Because I think in front of us are some significant things. I don't know about you. You, you, can, you, you can come to Redeemer King and just kind of enjoy the vibe. And that, do you know what? That is totally all right. Because we want to be here as a place where you feel family, community, loving Jesus, loving one another, growing in Christ-like character, all of that stuff. But part of me as well, that one of the reasons I'm doing this is I want to be on the front foot of God's purposes, don't you? I want to actually, I want to squeeze as much juice out of this thing called life as possible. And I know the best opportunity to do that is to follow my captain, brother, rescuing friend, Jesus Christ. That's the best thing that I can do. And I have a vision for this church. And the vision for this church that I carry is that actually we build something that is beautiful to the most hurting, broken and lost people. It's not about size or scale. But actually we build a place where people walk in and they just have a touch from the Lord just by being here. You know, I've longed for that. And like one year at the gathering, we had a bloke who had a stroke who'd not been able to speak and was deaf since he'd had a stroke six years earlier and actually found himself worshipping and hearing the worship during the worship and got utterly healed because he had a touch and God, the atmosphere was so anointed. Wouldn't you love that here? Like we just create something beautiful. And honestly, I want to build something big because everything in me is like, I want to build big things. Because I just this is fun. And the more people in church and less people facing lost eternity as far as I'm concerned. So I want to build something big and resource. But the most precious thing to me is an atmosphere that's anointed. Where you walk in, you just feel the love of Jesus. From the minute you come in for a cup of tea, you feel the love of Jesus. And sometimes I think we're there. And sometimes I know we're not. And that's fine, because we're on a journey. Sometimes I know we annoy each other. That's fine, it's people. I probably annoy you all the time. That's called relationships. That happens, but that's different to the anointing. When you consecrate yourself before the Lord, God can do beautiful things. And I think he's looking for a people whose heart is totally soft before him. This is what, to me, consecration looks like. Let me just read you this from Ephesians 4. We're told in the Bible that not to grieve the Holy Spirit, because it seems he's so tender. Ephesians 4.29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Could we consecrate our character and our hearts before the Lord? See if there's any offensive way in me, it says in Psalm 139. Lead me in the way everlasting. Only Jesus can do this just by the power of his Holy Spirit. I mean, we need the Holy Spirit's help. But what a thing when we say to the Holy Spirit, please test my heart. Fashion me to be a person full of optimism, joy, hope, love, kindness, peace, grace. Not chipped up, not envious, not slandering, not gossiping. And do you know what? I think as this filters through the church, the Lord will trust to us so much good stuff. Because he'll trust us with broken people. The Lord won't send broken people into an atmosphere that's toxic. But he'll send broken people to an atmosphere that's full of love. 
So I, I, I'm just saying, could we have a period of consecration? We are going to be calling a period of prayer and fasting uh, before the auction happens to the building. Um, but I think in your own devotional life, wouldn't it be amazing if we could actually say, Lord, see if there's any offensive way in me and see where the Lord would take you with that and meditate on Ephesians 4, 29 onwards. Two very quick points. Number two, what you learn here from Joshua is that they knew what it meant to step out in faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we live by faith, not by sight. But let me tell you what a human tendency is. Human tendency is this. Tick all the boxes, mitigate all the risks, know all the facts, and tie down every loose end. That's what we want to do before we go into any big project or any big venture. Joshua's about to lead a whole bunch of people across the Jordan River. And do you know what he says? Put your feet into the water. It's going to be cool. I'm paraphrasing slightly. But that's actually what he was saying. Put your feet in the water. It's going to work out. You're going to be fine. Can you imagine? There'd be a little bit of grumbling amongst the Levitical priests. I don't think it was all austere. You know, there were a lot of them. So can you imagine, like, Levitical priest called Jeff turning around to a Levitical priest called Dave. Oh, I think he's lost it. Uh, Dave, just put your feet in the water, mate. No, he's lost it completely. No, honestly, you've got to just trust him. He's the man. All right, then, let's go for it. Splosh. Poof. I mean, honestly, I'm sure that some of them are like, what is going on? But you know what they did do? They trusted. They trusted the vision. Trusted the leadership. That's obviously a given. But they trusted the vision. They didn't trust the detail because they didn't have the detail. It's like God to Abraham in Genesis 12. Leave your home, your people, and your country, Abraham, to a land I'll show you. Where is it? Not telling you. What way do I go? That way. Can't go on Google Maps, can he? Can't go on whatever it is, TripAdvisor. Oh, I need a nice oasis somewhere out in the desert that way. I'll go on TripAdvisor and let's find one. Oh, I know. Leave your home, your people, and your country. Big picture vision. I'm giving you a big picture vision. We're going to go and build in the building. We're going to create something that's beautiful for the most hurting, broken, and lost people. I can't give you all the detail, but you're up for it. I can't give you the detail. I can tell you we need shed loads of cash, loads of volunteers, hearts of gold, soft hearts before the Lord, full of Ephesians 4 stuff, you know, full of joy, living the Beatitudes, opposite spirit, Romans 12. I can tell you that. Uh, Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is on us and not just to preach good news to the poor. Isaiah, enlarge a place of your tent. I can give you the big vision. I know God's given us Isaiah. Enlarge a place of your tent. Don't hold back. Strengthen your tent pegs. We're going to build something. I can't give you the detail. So if you come to you and say, what's the square footage? Oh, I don't know. Have you done this, that, and that? What's the planning permissions? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to do it, though. But I know there'll be a bloke here who does. You know, like, Josh and Mike and stuff are good at that stuff. What I can do is I can tell you, honestly, God's spoken to us. And we're going to build something. But I can't give you all the detail. What we must learn to do is completely trust the Lord. It's all up for grabs. I can't give you the detail, but I do know we're going to build something. All I'm saying is, are you up for it? And do you want to see this thing happen? Like, honestly, uh, just to say this. Uh, this trip in Australia was quite amazing and we did see the Lord do some beautiful things uh, one of the things that's happened is they said oh this gathering thing you do they actually said it like this this gathering thing you do mate that's so quite good wasn't it that was Melbourne all the way through that this gathering we want it in Australia so I went great let's do the, the gathering in Australia that sounds amazing and they said we've got the land they've got all the land they've got the facility they've got better facilities than us so we've got everything. They said, you, you bring the team over and do your 
British weird comedy stuff and preach, and we can provide everything else. And immediately the team is saying, I said, so I said to the team, we're going to do the gathering in Australia. How are you going to do that? I don't know. But we're going to win thousands of blokes to Christ in Australia. But who's going to go over there first? I don't know. Let's stay with the vision first. And we pray into the vision, and then it's going to happen. And do you know how the gathering happened? It literally happened by me sitting in a terrible conference, being very frustrated and bored, saying, I'm going to build a conference that I'd actually want to go to and bring me non-Christian mates. And they said, what does it look like? I said, burning stuff, blowing stuff up, shooting things, throwing axes, preaching Jesus. It's a weird fusion of worship and carnage. That's what I want to create. And uh, some of you have heard me say this before, but it's an important principle. They said, what do you need? I said, I need a field. Where are you going to get one from? Don't know. How many toilets are you going to need? Don't know. We're going to need some. Uh, what's it, are you, going to, you want a car this way? Where are you going to get cars from? I don't know, but I'm going to go for it. During that conversation, the poshest bloke I've ever met in all my life walks over to me with a cardboard tube, and he said, he said I, I, I'd like to show you what's in my cardboard tube. <laughs> That's actually what he said. I went, do sit down. And at the cobble tree, he pulled a map, and it was a bunch of polo fields. He said, the Lord's given me a vision of, my son, a vision of thousands of men giving their lives to Christ on these polo fields. Would you like them? I went, I absolutely would. Fantastic. And literally, the blokes I was sitting there with went, how on earth did that just happen? Because I just said, I need a field. Where are you going to get them from? Don't know. Bloke walks up with a cardboard tube on a cruise ship going from Liverpool to Dublin. Go figure that out. When God's spoken, things happen. And out of that little step of faith, putting our feet in the water, didn't know what we were doing, how it was going to work, from a couple of hundred blokes, it's now over 2,000 guys, hundreds and hundreds of guys giving their lives to Christ, and now could end up in Australia. That's, that's a six-year journey. Didn't have a clue how it was going to happen. But sometimes we've got to put our feet in the water, and we've just got to trust the Lord. And I guess what I'm saying to you is, are you up for it? The third and final thing, very, very brief is, what you'll notice here in Joshua is, at the start here, they were very unified and very focused. All organised, they were all facing the same direction. Even like, we need you in a certain spread so you can hear each other. All marching in one direction. A whole bunch of people. And what I what I feel the Lord would just say to us at the moment is, as part of this consecration process, sifting process before we cross over into what God's got for us is let's keep our hearts really unified as a family I think there'll come a time when like things are just going to spread and there'll be initiatives and stuff cropping up all over the place like I'm president of Christian Vision for Men and I, I saw on a website the other day there was some massive conference in Plymouth called CVM Staying Sharp Plymouth I thought I didn't even know that was happening I didn't know who the speakers were we're just Guys are just getting on with it. That's when something goes from being an organisation to a movement. But at the start, we have to keep this thing hot. And we have to keep like, the temperature hot spiritually. And I think very, very focused and very, very unified as we cross over together. Very much in faith, all facing the same direction. Here's just a word of caution this. This is what I've learned over the years. If you're building something with a big vision, you attract passionate people. And also, the Lord gives you people with vision who are better leaders and more capable than you are. That is just a fact. And, and people then turn their passions to the thing that's in front of them. So the Lord will bring you evangelists. And the evangelists will say, look, 
all this stupid worship and prophetic stuff or pathetic stuff. All this stuff that you're doing, what we've got to do is just get out there and tell people about Jesus. Which is a bit where I'm at, really, because I'm an evangelist. Let's just get out there and tell people about Jesus. And then the pastor, people with the pastoral passion are saying, no, no, <laughs> stop bringing new people in. We're not looking after the people who got in front of us. We need to do that a bit better. Then the Bible teacher says, yeah, 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 that's all because you've not, you're not got people into doctrine properly. You need to give people solid doctrine. You know, Paul learned doctrine for 18 months before he did anything. The worshippers are saying, for goodness sake, what we've got to do is worship the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit will come down and sort everything out. And then the people at the healing ministry says, yeah, I know, but look, what we need to do is get on the streets and demonstrate the power of God and then everything will just align itself. That's what we've got to do. We've got to do it, got to do it that way. And then the intercessors are saying, stop, everybody stop, we've not prayed enough. If we prayed a little bit more, then things would happen. You know, we, we, we intercede and hear from the word of the Lord. And everyone's rowing, furiously passionate about the kingdom. But what we got to do, oh, then there'll be the other, but there'll be like the, 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 the Neville's, although Neville's not like this. But you know, stop doing all this spiritual stuff. People, people need help. We've got to help people. You're not helping anyone who's heads in the clouds. You know, people got problems, we've got to help them. And we need to do the furniture bank, the food bank, the cat project. Everyone's passionate. Actually, do you know when it really goes off? It's when everyone thinks, these are amazing pieces of a jigsaw that are fitting together. The Lord has brought amongst us some incredibly gifted and passionate people. And if we can fit all this together and give everyone a view of the whole work, how it all fits in totality, and then we all cross together, it's really going to go off. So it's just a word as we now begin to advance and take more ground. Be mindful of the whole picture. How do I fit into the whole picture? And if we're missing something, you just need to come and talk to us because we want to march together in unity. And I think the Lord will love that and he'll really bless us.